So I had the honor of uh, starting the sermon off with a very personal to me story. So please bear with me if I get a little emotional. Um, I'm also going through some of the creds, so tea, no. Um, so in Matthew and I first moved to Wilmington, North Carolina, my teaching certificate hadn't yet transferred. So I was stuck in this sub rotation. Um, despite having filed for the paperwork months prior, they you know, didn't get it all figured out yet. But I ended up landing a long-term maternity leave position for a sixth grade math and science teacher while I was pregnant with Arthur. Um, I was blessed to have 60 middle schoolers, and I got to spend between two and three hours a day with each group of 30. Um, so as I was walking down the hall one random day, I came across one of my more love students, and I called them my more love students because they required more love, more love, more grace, more time, more of me. Um, so I had several of these more love kiddos, but, but this one in particular was sitting on the step outside of the office crying. Not, not normal for this child. So at the time, very pregnant me sat down on this short step, and I just sat there. I didn't really know what to do, but I just knew he needed me there. So I sat for quite a while, and it was a little awkward. Um, but eventually he started talking, and I, I don't even remember how the conversation goes, but that's not really the point. I was, I was able to love on this short, little, chunky, sixth-grade kid before helping him to his feet. Maybe he helped me to mine. Um, so the next year I was hired as a seventh grade English and social studies teacher, more in my, my realm of what I like to teach. Um, and guess who was on my roster? Yeah. So unfortunately I only had him for the first half of the year though, because mid year, his brother who was in one gang and another student's brother who was an opposing gang had some violent interactions that did not end well. So they had to split the two students. Um, it was very unfortunate that I lost my child. The next year, when he went upstairs to the eighth grade hall, he would use my classroom as his safe space. He would come see me when he needed to escape, when he needed to talk, when he needed to just sit. Um, and throughout his high school years, he would come back and see me one to two times a year. He actually saw me my last day at the school and brought me flowers. It was so sweet. Um, so one rough year, he came to help me pack my stuff for the summer, during which, and this is not my proudest moment, um, but I vented to him, um, he very, very much taller than me now, about how I was done. I was finished teaching. I was so over it. I, I don't even know. I vented for so long. Um, I didn't feel supported. I didn't feel like I had accomplished anything. I wasn't making enough money. I was just over it. Um, so he listened to me vent, and when I was done, he told me that I couldn't quit. He reminded me of that day when we sat outside the office on that step, and he told me that he was going to commit suicide that day. He told me that it was because told me that it was because of the love that I had showed him that changed his life and that changed his mind. Now, I am so proud 
of this young man. And, and I have pictures, but I'm trying to preserve his identity. Um, but I'm, I'm really, I'm so proud of him. He has a steady job at the Lord's Chicken, Chick-fil-A. Um, he, <laughs> he is going to college for some position in the medical field. And he is changing the world. He overcame the temptation to join this gang. And he is making, he's making the world a better place. But what he doesn't know is that day, I was serious. I was really done. I was so over it. Um, I was packing to leave. I wasn't just packing for the summer. But his story and the love that he showed me, even just by sitting there and listening to me vent, that's what kept me in education. That's, that's, that's what re-energized me and rejuvenated my desire. And hopefully, since that conversation, I have had the ability to impact even more students. Teaching eighth grade, I had, um, well, one year I, I had 270-something children. Um, and every year since that, I had between 120 and 150 students that walked through my door. So pretty wide net, and I'm hoping some of the love that I have in me, God's love, showed and changed more lives through through his story. Because, man, I was done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, love, I love the power of that story because um, it's such a beautiful illustration of what we're going to be talking about today. And that's the power of love and the effect that it can have and and how, you know, you may not think that it's that significant to just sort of, uh, take a seat next to someone and just sit and just be with them. Um, but as you saw in this story, like it, that that was a that was a significant, pivotal, life changing moment. Um, and I, I would say to this day, and we don't live there anymore, but he probably is still uh, both of our kids' favorite Chick Fil A worker. <laughs> sure. The kids actually got to see him the week before we left too. Um, so, so that was a lot of fun, and and, and has That's been. Continued to be a, a you know a close personal friend to our family, so really great. Um, I want to take just a minute um, before we jump deep into the topic for today, because um, we're actually going to be wrapping up the Advent series this morning, and so I just wanted to kind of touch on on where we've been before we go where we're going. Um, four weeks ago, we introduced our Advent series, and we looked at the power of hope. And we talked about the story of Elizabeth and how she was a person who had cultivated um, and practiced the presence of God in her life and became a woman of hope, um, even when her circumstances had not yet changed. And the next week, we looked at the power of peace, uh, the peace that brings deliverance from fear. And we discovered that peace in the kingdom starts um, in our inner world and actually works its way out and not the other way around. Um, and then last week, Dale brought us uh, a great message on the power of joy, and he beautifully showed us how we can live in the tension of both joy and sorrow, and showed us what real joy is um, through those captivating stories about raising sheep. And in case you missed any of them, like I did, our <laughs> podcasts are available on the website and on Facebook. And this week, we're going to conclude the series by looking at the power of love. So just like in my story about my student, we're going to explore how love has the power to do the impossible. It can break chains, overcome fear, 
that cap this tree and even change the course of someone's life. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you into this place. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your leading. We thank you for this church body as we gather. Uh, and we just ask, Father, that you uh, would send your Holy Spirit this morning to be our teacher. Um, that you would help us keep uh, first things first in this Christmas season. Um, we ask for your healing presence um, for those many uh, people connected and in our family uh, who are dealing with sickness, Father. Just ask that you bring uh, healing and rest and, and recovery. And uh, we just ask, Father, that you would just have your way uh, all through this week um, at a time of year that that is that perfect picture for so many of us of the tension of, of joys and sorrows. It can be a really difficult time of year. Tensions can be high. Family situations can be difficult. Um, but, Father, in the midst of all of those circumstances, we still have hope. We still have joy. We still have peace. Uh, and we still have your love. So we just ask that you just teach us about that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Brittany said, uh, today we're going to talk about how the inbreaking kingdom brings love that does the impossible. Um, what kind of love are we talking about? So in short, um, without going into a whole other talk on, on the different types of love, you've probably heard teaching on, on, on that at times, but for the context of what we're talking about today, um, love is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father's heart for humanity. He, he both was and is um, the perfect example of living a life led by the Holy Spirit and moving in compassion to bring healing and deliverance um, to all those that he came in contact with. You see, when Jesus came to the earth, um, as we read about in the Christmas story, and we'll, we'll look at, uh, at the Christmas story in Luke in a little while, um, we know that he was both God and man. Um, but it is my personal conviction um, that he voluntarily set aside his divinity to take on human form. And this is an extremely important distinction for us to understand when we look at the life of Jesus. Um, it's really easy to look at the life that Jesus lived here on the earth and, and sort of assign the things that he did to his divinity. I believe that when we begin to see that Jesus actually lived his life on the earth as a spirit-led human, we begin to see how Jesus was the perfect example of what's actually possible for all of humanity. And I want to be clear, I'm in no way saying that, uh, that we're on the same level as God. Um, there's, there's actually heretical teaching out there that says we're, we're little gods, and, and, and that's, that's not what we're talking about. Um, God is, is entirely holy and set apart and distinct in his divine nature, but we were created in his image. And we were created with divine purpose to reflect him back to the rest of humanity. And so everything that Jesus did and walked in on the earth is actually possible for us to do. The power of Christ's love in us can and will 
enable us to actually do the things that Jesus did and more. Let's actually hear the words. I have it here. Um, uh, Jesus says this himself in John 14. Um, Don't be troubled. You trust in God. Trust also in me in the first verse. And then if you jump on down to verse 12, the truth is anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with my Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it because the work of the Son brings glory to the Father. Yes, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Then in the next verse, Jesus goes on and actually promises, the next number of verses, goes on and promises the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, to his disciples, of which we are actual spiritual descendants. I want to uh, say to you this morning, Jesus never asks us to do anything. He hasn't given us the resources and the ability to do. So when we could make the list of all the different times where we're, we're actually commanded not only to love people, but to be loved and to be his hands and feet. And so if we were to list all those different commands, um, we have to realize that he's also enabling us to be able to do that. He doesn't ask us to do things that we can't do. Um, but sometimes we need to switch the way we think about it and actually think, with a heavenly-oriented mind led by the Spirit. As I said, I believe that's the way Jesus accomplished the things that he did. Um, And not that he ever stopped being God, but I believe that his life on the earth was lived to show us that it's it's possible to be led by the Spirit and to do the things that he did. Um, In Matthew 19.26, this happens just after the story of the rich young ruler, which you may be familiar with. Um, the disciples are questioning Jesus about who can be saved, and, and he's dialoguing with them about that. And, and they sort of ask him, like, how, how is it possible? And, and I love the way the New Living uh, precedes the actual quote. It says, Jesus looked at them intently. Do you ever just stop and wonder? <laughs> Jesus just gets a little frustrated sometimes with how slow the disciples are to, like, catch on to things. It's like, you know, because he says, like, like, how long must I be with you? Like, do you not get this yet? Uh, but that that's just my own, uh, that's probably me reading my own stuff into the story. But he goes on to say, after Jesus looks at them intently and says, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. I want to shift and look now at another aspect of the power of love, and that's love's power not only to do the impossible, um, but also to enable us to do what we're too afraid to do. Um, See, love also rescues. It rescues those who are wounded, and it rescues those who have lost hope. Now, for many of you, you might identify with that, as part of your story of coming to faith, you you may uh, you may feel that that that's your story that you you were actually rescued um, by God's love. But I want to also uh, put the thought in your mind that um, just as in Brittany's story, um, we can be that for other people, and uh, we can actually be that expression of God's love 
um, to to break uh, chains and bounds and things in people's lives um, that may seem impossible. Um, I want to toss it back over to Brittany, and uh, she's going to share another story that I think uh, demonstrates um, the power of love to rescue. This one isn't a personal story, but you may have heard it before. In 1942, there was a young man named Desmond Doss. You may know of him because there's a movie, Hacksaw Ridge, and a documentary, The Conscientious Objector. I'm very partial to documentaries. so. <laughs> um, but both of them follow this amazing man's story, and I'm going to give you the cliff notes. Oh, I just realized Ridge. Anyway, no pun intended. Um, so Desmond was not your picture-perfect soldier. He was small. He was skinny. He didn't have any muscles. He was a Seventh-day Adventist. And he was a pacifist. So he wouldn't even touch or carry a weapon. And before 1940, that's whenever they passed the conscientious objector law, the Army would not have even let him enlist. Um, but Doss believed in the cause of World War II, so he enlisted as what was called a CO, or a conscientious objector. His company treated him so poorly. They thought of him as the weakest link. They would even throw their shoes at him while he prayed. Um, his captain, Jack Glover, tried to get him to transfer. Doss told him, don't ever doubt my courage because I will be right by your side saving life as you take it. Glover responded, you won't be by my side without a gun. So as hard as they tried, the army could not force Doss to carry a weapon. And at Okinawa in the spring of 1945, Doss joined his company at Hacksaw Ridge as a medic. This 400-foot cliff that the American soldiers had to scale using a rope ladder was full of caves, holes, and the Japanese soldiers were buried underground at the top. The Japanese called this battle the Reign of Steel because of all of the bullets flying around. Now, under all of this gunfire and explosion, Doss joined his company on the ridge without a weapon, just as the Japanese soldiers launched another heavy attack. After a while, Doss's company retreated back down the ridge, leaving all of the wounded. Now, at this point, um, I have to take responsibility. There was supposed to be a very short clip. Technology did not cooperate uh, for that to happen. Um, but I want to just paint you a picture. And if you, this is actually would have actually been from the movie Hacksaw Ridge. And it's only about a minute and 15 seconds. The but movie it, is much longer. The clip oh, is yeah, longer. the movie's like two and a half hours. <laughs> but um, but I, just, I just want to paint this picture of this, this moment in the story. Um, as Brittany said, you know, so, so Desmond has been literally, uh, you know, right there in the midst of battle, uh, trying to treat the wounded, you know, uh, totally unprotected. Um, and at this point in the story, you know, the company has actually begun the retreat. And, and in the film, um, I mean, they've left just dozens and dozens of wounded on the battlefield. And, and it literally takes place on this ridge. And, and the company, uh, Desmond is the last one. Everybody has retreated back down the ridge. And he's the last one left. And he's on the ridge. And he had carried uh, one soldier who, who didn't make it. And he sort of uh, does his little last rites thing, if you will, there. 
And just before he goes to follow the company and retreat down the ridge, he stops and he prays. And he looks up and he just says, "Like, what, what do you what do you want me What do you want of me? I I, I don't understand. Like, he just you know, he's hurt, he's confused, he's terrified. And he says, "Lord, I can't hear you." And right as he says that, you hear this just blood curdling cry for help for a medic from a soldier who's still laying on the battlefield. And Desmond says, all right. And he stands up, and you see him walk back through the explosions onto the battlefield. And... Yeah, it's very powerful. So Doss would go on to drag the wounded American soldiers to the ledge, tie their bodies with a rope, and lower them down that 400 feet to be treated. By himself. And he, again, very skinny, no muscles man, dragging and carrying on his back these very large American soldiers. Um, with each soldier he rescued, he would pray, please, Lord, help me get one more. Doss saved 75 men, including his captain, Jack Glover, in a 12-hour period of dodging bullets, nightfall, by himself, 75 men. Veteran uh, Carl Bentley, who was also at Hacksaw Ridge, he said it's as if God had his hand on Doss's shoulder. It's the only explanation I can give. Now, Doss loved his country, otherwise he wouldn't have enlisted. He loved his company, or he wouldn't have stayed and tried to save them. He loved his captain, even though his captain did not like him. <laughs> And most of all, he loved God, and God used Doss to do the impossible. Now, I have no doubt that Desmond was afraid and terrified out there on the ridge. No protection for himself, no weapon, no cover, no nothing. But he didn't allow the fear to stop him, to grip hold of him. He let the power of love propel him forward into action and the result was undoubtedly an expression of the power of love to rescue. Fear never disqualifies anyone from experiencing the inbreaking of the kingdom and his kingdom. If you find yourself afraid to do something that God's called you to do, do it afraid. God will be there. Yeah. Um, I want to shift now and look at the passages in Luke 1 and 2, where we actually see um, the biblical illustration of these principles in the Christmas story. And there are actually three different occasions where the angels come to announce the Messiah. We're not going to read each of those right now, but I'm just going to uh, mention them for your reference. Uh, we have uh, the angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah in Luke 1, uh, 11 through 13. And then uh, we will read this second passage in a moment uh, if you want to hold your finger there. Uh, in Luke 1, starting in verse 26, is the account of the angel coming to Mary. Um, and then later um, in Luke 2, we see where the angel comes uh, to see the shepherds. And each time the angel instructs, do not be afraid or fear not, depending on uh, which translation. 
personally, we found these stories to be a little challenging um, because each time the angel appears, um, I mean, you get the impression from the way the story is told that they showed up in a rather uh, unexpected and maybe kind of spectacular fashion. And I've always wondered um, if God actually like specifically instructed Gabriel uh, to sort of do things this way, or if that was just his own flair, you know, sort of making the dramatic entrance. And we we were talking about this this week, and uh, I've I've nicknamed him Gabe. It just seems more personal to me. But it's like every time every time Gabe shows up, it's like he'll show up and do something super scary, and then say, "Don't be afraid." It's like mm. I wonder if he's a showman or a prankster. But sometimes I think God just delights in keeping us on our toes. Um, let's go ahead and read the the passage. Um, I just think, you know, these are really familiar, but I just, I, I love revisiting these stories at this time of year um, and, and trying to read them with, with fresh eyes. So this is the account of Mary. This is in Luke 1. I'm going to start in verse 26, go through verse 38. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think, What could the angel mean? But don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her, For God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, How can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. And people used to say she's barren, but she's already now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Um, I looked back, and I didn't even talk to you about this, but one of the uh, messages that you had preached several years ago, you actually flipped it around and said, uh, instead of uh, nothing is impossible for God. Impossible. Impossible is nothing for God. Like what seems utterly impossible to us, uh, it's just his nature. It's just, you know. And I have no doubt that Mary in this story must have been terrified and confused. I mean, not only at, at the shock of the of the entrance and the interaction, but like what he's saying to her. It's a very, you know, outrageous and confusing and terrifying thing. But Mary did not allow fear to get in the way of saying yes. So I wonder this morning, uh, what seemingly scary thing is God inviting you into this season? And where is it that you need the power of love to break through and change everything, either in your life or in the life of someone close to you? You see, this Christmas we celebrate the birth of our Savior And we celebrate the fact that because 
of him, all things have become possible. We celebrate chains breaking, captives being set free, and miraculous births. We celebrate good news being preached to the poor. We celebrate that where his love reigns, oppression will cease. We celebrate that in this kingdom, the slave really is our brother, and that his kingdom of peace will reign forever. We celebrate, as we did this Advent season, hope, peace, joy, and love. But just as Dale illustrated last week, we celebrate while we also suffer this present reality, because not all of these things are fully come to fruition yet. And so while we celebrate, we also lament, and we ask, Lord, come. Holy Spirit, come. In this present time, in this moment, when so much seems wrong with the world, yet the hope that we claim to cling to is unchanged. Despite circumstances, despite injustice, despite strife and brokenness, let's take this moment, in this time of year, in this season, and look to the hope that he offers us. We celebrate because we're invited through Jesus to walk in these realities. And through the power of love, we can actually become the answers to the problems that we see in the world. Let's close in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we just we do just come before you, Father, and we just we just want to lay everything at your feet this morning. There's probably a million things going through our minds. Everything from the logistics of holiday planning and meal prep and shopping to anxiety about difficult relationships and uh, uncertainty. And maybe some of us are trying to reconnect with uh, folks we haven't been connected with in a while. But many of us might still be dealing with the uh, anxieties of our present reality with the pandemic and uh, the uncertainty that still uh, is very much our reality. So, Father, we just take all of that this morning and we lay it at your feet. We say, come Holy Spirit, we invite the very real present reality of your love to come and even in this moment, Father, we ask that it would manifest in this place, Father, that as we worship, continue to worship through singing, through giving, through praying, that you would just be very present. We just invite you into this place in Jesus' name. Amen.